firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan, and we're here today with uh, Futan, uh, practice whose practice focuses on issues relating to ecology, sustainability, and healthy living. His work is project-based, ephemeral, and educational in nature. Tan has exhibited in venues including the Queen's Museum of Art, Parsons, the New School for Design, Ballroom Marfa, Creative Time, Project Row Houses, and the Contemporary Art Center. Uh, Tan's projects have been presented by the Laundromat Project, City of New York Department of Cultural Affairs, percent for the uh, percent for the Arts Project, and City of Philadelphia Mural Arts Program. His work has been published by Gestalten um, and Thames and Hudson. Tan has been widely recognized for his artistic contributions and services to the community. As proud recipient of the proclamation of the City of New York, um, he is a recipient of the grants from the Robert Trusenberg uh, Foundation, Arts Matter, Joan Mitchell Foundation, Pulitzer Arts Foundation, and Staten Island Arts. In 2010, Tan received a, um, the annual Award for Excellence in Design by the Public Design Commission of New York City, New York, for his design and branding of the super graphic on the Bronx River Art Center. Welcome, Tatfu. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, why don't we start the conversation off a little about your artistic practice? Um, you mentioned uh, relating to ecology and sustainability. Tell us a bit about what kind of mediums you you uh, work in, and where we can uh, where people can look up your art. Yeah. Um, when usually when people say about art medium, it's usually the normal painting, drawings, mm-hmm. and sculpture. But uh, I am a social practice artist. Basically, that is not the traditional medium, but interaction with the public concerning the issues that I want to point towards, which is ecology, sustainability, and climate change. And since they are ephemeral and usually co-produced with the public, um, you can go to my website, tatfu.com, to view those projects. Uh, there's not many tangible projects, but there is a public art uh project that I did with Percent for Arts, which is in a school in um, Sunset Park in Brooklyn that you can see is PS971 uh, in Sunset Park. Um, it's in a school, so it's, it's right before the, um, you know, the, the gut uh, desk. So you can still see it even though you are not part of the school. Yeah, that's great. Um, and also, I know that we talked a lot about the philosophy underlying your, your work. Um, in the pre-interview questions, we answered about non-duality which is very interesting to me as well um if we talk a little bit about how that informs your work how that informs like your your practices or or how that informs your philosophy of life non-duality yeah. non-duality well it's, it's a huge topic it's hard to cover uh, yeah. uh, in in a, in a short uh interview like this and and people usually take years to understand them but uh what i understand personally is that you know we, we as a person had a lot of built up idea of who we are, you know, our name, our professions, uh, all the identities, all the I that we're building. And non-duality to me is to strip those I away and, and bear what you truly are. And, uh, and that's, that's what non-duality to me personally. Yeah. Yeah. I understand also it has to do with like, um, you know, traditionally we think of the external world as being like 
you know, out there and, and, and our inner lives, psychic lives is being in here, but the co-creation of those phenomena, right? Um, kind of co-creation, which is very, like, in the, in this, in the, uh, Eastern traditions that we co-create the, the, the reality as you perceive it. Yeah. And, and yeah. more, more importantly is that to know who you truly are, it's not just co-create, it's like, uh, Mm, the idea of the underlying, uh, the underlying um, source of of this reality, and and uh, what I understand is that the source is 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 who you are, which is mm. not just a singular person, but the the uh, the and the whole the whole entirety of creation is who you are. Yeah, so it's, um, it's kind of hard to to sell because it is not yeah. our real need. It's not our what we perceive. You know, it's not tangible. So. Every time I try to sell people the idea of non-duality, it's a hard sell. You know, people rather be the tiny, tiny, tiny me <laughs> than the old, the almighty. You know, so it's it's very hard to to sell the the, the whole idea of non-duality. Yeah, and now there's a lot of writers that are coming up, like Brad Warner. Yeah, is one of the writers who um has been trying to kind of like popularize or or what you may call um kind of writing about it, writing about non-duality. He had a new book, um, Other Side of Nothing, that came out, I think, this year that I got uh, recently. Yeah, I'm a big uh, fan of him uh, on his podcast uh, on, on YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah great, great. So, um, yeah, so we we're talking about, like, philosophically or the, um, the philosophy of spirituality that informs, like, you know, you're exploring uh, Sanskrit now. So tell us a little bit about, also about your background and about how right. you came across learning Sanskrit. Yeah, since I, I get, you know, like I want to learn more about non-duality, uh, my perspective is through the tradition of Advaita Vedanta, the non-dual philosophy of the, the Vedic culture, and the original text is in Sanskrit. So even though all the English translation is really good and I'm able to understand them and a lot of lectures and satsang has been done in English, but uh, I was thinking I should learn to read the original text. And since uh, my background coming from Malaysia and... And Malay language had a lot of uh, loanword from uh, from Sanskrit, so that's my uh, interest, I guess, uh, in Sanskrit. And um, I started learning Sanskrit uh, two and a half years ago since the pandemic, uh, and it is a, a very hard language to learn. I have to say, uh, one of the hardest. I already know five languages, and that's the this one is the hardest for me to understand. Uh, it's an uphill battle all the way. Uh, it's like hill after hill after hill. Yeah. And uh, the drop-off rates of students is really high, but uh, somehow I'm attracted. Like the challenge is challenging me, you know. So I I keep coming back for more. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I want to I want to dive a little bit deeper into into non-duality since you put that as like an answer to like like five of the questions. So, <laughs> yeah, like I'd love to dive a little deeper in like how you um and also what you learn from these Sanskrit texts. Like what 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 do you what you gain from it, or or what are some of the insights? And now, what the difference between reading the original as opposed to reading the translation? Was there anything specific that you can point to that, um, like you know, you learn a little bit more insightful uh, in the in the multiple meanings of the language? Or yes, um, the uh, the language is very flexible. Like uh, a word could mean like you know, a lot of different things. Like uh, one, uh, let's say the the sun has uh, has like a lot of name for the sun it's not just an english one you know uh, and also the idea is very interesting that is is uh you know everything is about the verbs you know verbs is the the main important thing and everything 
sort of like circumference uh, the idea of doing and action. And uh, one of the two uh, words that we, uh, roots that we usually use is like uh, uh, ker, uh, which is karoti, which is to do something and also asti from the root as uh, just being. You know, like usually as a human, we do things, right? Like I'm doing an interview right now. It's, it's basically karoti, you know, it's like you are doing something. But, you know, our true nature is basically us, you know, like asti, you know, like just being. That's our true nature. That's why there's this uh, Mahavakya, which is like the, the main, uh, uh, what you call it, synopsis of the, the whole concept, the whole philosophy is a tatwam asi. So asi is, uh, is, is the, from the root as. So, uh, that you are. That's the translation. And, uh, that's the non-duality, uh, tagline, basically. Yeah. So it's going into this, like being in doing, um, you know, like a lot of times we think about, like being as being like passive, but also being as like active because we're like, you know, is, is that kind of the case with, with the understanding you've received that like we, we think of doing as being like, um, like being and doing kind of intertwining themselves. Right. I mean, always like the performance is part of our being. Is that kind of what you're understanding? Yeah. For, for me, like doing is, well, of course you live in the world, you have to do something, but yeah. there's two types of doing. One is the doing from your, sure lackingness you're doing something because you wanted it and you have to kind of see that one is it something that is your will or something that is like your calling you know so there's two type of doing like every time when i do something i kind of check myself whether this is uh my calling or this is just something that you know that i'm doing because i felt that i need to do it so that's for me uh it's very important um because uh the, the non-duality, the final idea is that you have no free will, you know, like no ultimate free will. Of course, you have free will to choose something uh, in a small variant of uh, possibility, but not true free will. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You're saying um, in regards to uh, the personal and power, like in other words, like when you talk about power, like the power to perform actions, the power to make change, the power to influence, does that come from a higher uh like a right register of power, like those do you believe in like bodhisattvas or Buddhas or, or, or deities or gods or anything like that? Or, and how does that inform like our ability to perform actions? Uh, if we if we receive the grace of these beings, is that kind of uh, along lines of what you're believing? Yeah. My personal belief. And I think what Advaita Vedanta is also talking about is that ultimately the Brahma, which is you. So you are like the, the big G, what I call, you know? Yeah. But then you are in this human body. But then, of course, in the world, there is also the small g, the gods, that in all the pantheons. And uh, so the, the philosophy is very interesting because it contradicts itself. Like it yeah. says that you are the big guy, right? Like, but just now you are being born as this tiny human. But then you can also sort of like worship and be devotional to the gods that we know in the world, like, you know, Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, and yeah. all the Taoist pantheon that I grew up with. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting it, it, because it it is everything is yes and no, you know, like yes and also no. So you have to, for me, I always tell people you have to look at things in the macro view and the micro view. Like the macro view, you are the all. By the micro view, you need food, you know, you know, you need uh salary and you need to pay the rent. So that's like these two views that you have to keep like zooming in and out all the time. Yeah, and and we can weave this in together with your creative practice, like how this main form you know like um your own your own kind of practices 
whether it be creative practices or other practices that you might do meditative or contemplative practices. Um, you know, how does this inform, like, how do you experience this on a visceral level? Like, you know, and how do you implement, how does it change, I guess, the way you've engaged in life um, since, since being exposed to these philosophies? Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I have this uh, hindsight, I guess, uh, through my, through my career um, that, you know, I, I used to see myself as a, a graphic designer, which I, I study graphic design. I have a background and a degree on that. And I've been working in the industry for, you know, a long time. And, uh, at some point, I, I, at some point, it's not my doing and I'm a very good designer, but somehow the clients just drop, you know, like people don't call me back. And, uh, so I'll be like, okay, that's what it is. But what is my, what's my true interest? It seems that my true interest is being an artist, which is my dream since childhood. So I pursued that for the past 20 years. And then nowadays, it seems like the art people don't call me anymore. No, it's kind of a drop. So it is. So for me, this is just a natural progression. So I'm just being, you know, the asty part of, of me. Like instead of me pursuing, uh, you know, new clients or, or new projects in the art, I just, you know, let, let it be, you know, like what, what come will come, what not, not come will not come. You can't really force it. And, um, I just have to see what's my current calling or my next calling is, which is studying Sanskrit. And perhaps when my Sanskrit is in a good level, I will continue studying Latin. So that's my next uh, language acquirement that I, my goal. Oh, so that, uh, yeah. Are you hoping to read some texts in Latin? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm both interested in the East and the West. I don't see like, you know, I want to compare them, you know, like the traditional way. And there are so much digital library right now in Latin text. I'm also interested in, uh, you know, Western magical texts and, and stuff like that and, uh, things that have been written in the church. So I want to dive in using Latin, um, you know, in the years to come. Yeah. I, speaking of libraries, I think you mentioned libraries in there somewhere. Um, you also have a library thing, right? I have a, and, um, uh, yeah, a library fetish. <laughs> yeah. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, like your collection, your library, and and how you um, collect it, or how you maintain it, or is it um, is it in a location? Is it a physical location, or is it a physical collection, or is it a yeah digital? Yeah, and tell us how you how you kind of have educated yourself through that. Yeah, uh, I always like books. Maybe I think that looking back, that when I was you know young, and I have a. a a few nice books, you know, encyclopedia and things that my, uh, grand, my maternal grandfather left behind. I never met the guy in, in, in person, but you know, his books that he left behind, I guess, you know, really make a big impact on me. And, um, and, uh, and I've been collecting books, uh, since, but I haven't started really being serious for the past, uh, years, but uh, I've been starting my collection a few years ago and it is just, uh, basically things i'm interested in you know uh spiritual stuff and art stuff and 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 also nowadays i've been starting in starting to start a whole collection on uh, rare books basically books that are you know like 500 years old 400 years old things that are uh not able to buy in a in a bookstore but through another dealer and i'm interested in that both on the text and also in the production quality we don't make books like that anymore and being a graphic designer I've learned how to make a uh, letterpress, but now all these old books has these cool uh, book binding techniques that we don't use anymore. Um, 
And it's, it's great to have those actual samples that I read about when I was, you know, in college, but never really be able to touch and feel. So now I could, uh, touch them and feel them. Like even like il- illuminated manuscript, right? You go to like Morgan and stuff. You can see them through windows, but uh, the magic happens when you actually have a candlelight in front of it when all the illuminated ghosts fall, started to dance in front of you due, due to the lights from the candles. And that's the magic of the illuminated manuscript. But you can't have a candle in the museum, right? So you can't really felt it uh, in your hand. So... So I started to buying uh, stuff like that just to have that feeling. Yeah, also you have, um, speaking of the, the books, you have a PDF you sent me, Heal Humankind in Order to Heal the Land, I believe, right? Is that the is the title? or? Yeah, uh, yeah. to my art practice, uh, I have three big projects. Uh, it's called Nature Matching System, uh, SOS, Sustainable Organic Stewardship, and the last one, the third one, is called New Earth. And through these three projects, I produce four manuals. Uh, a lot of my projects, uh, uh, the goal is to, in, is to inspire other people um, to do something about whatever problem that they have uh, in, in the world. And, uh, and my latest is to heal humankind in order to heal the world. Uh, it's my idea, my hypothesis that uh, the, why people doesn't care about climate change it's not because of the lack of scientific data, but it's the lack of spiritual understanding. They do not truly know how the world is, how we are interconnected, and, and truly who we truly are. And so the idea of uh, not being able to connect with nature, not being able to connect with human to human is, is something that, that is lacking in our society. So uh, the only way to tackle things that's, that seems very scientific, but actually you need to tackle it through spiritual means. Yeah, it's interesting to uh, think about how um, the energies move through us and how we're all in a flow um, between nature, natural flow between nature and and uh, the man-made uh, man or our experiences, and how that flow of energy is really energetic flow is what informs kind of how we exist and what states of mind we exist in. You know, whether it be peaceful states of mind or whether it be equanimity whether it be more disruptive states of mind, where that flow is disrupted, uh, I think is where a lot of the suffering and misery is caused by when we're not able to get in touch with source, when we're kind of disrupted or, or, or alienated from source or moved away from source. So if we get a little into like, because, you know, we're tying together what you were saying in the beginning, like, you know, um, if there's if there's really no free will, if there's really, you know, kind of we're enmeshed in this kind of thing, to what extent do we get in touch with you know, uh, how do we like return to source in order to now? What is the purpose of that? Like, in other words, like, like, are we getting? Is the is it is a dichotomy between being disconnected from our natural flow and being in touch or and being in flow with that nature, or is there any other kind of? Is it how would you what kind of matrix did you put on it in order to understand like how we can be away from negative states of mind, or is there or how you perceive like suffering in negative states of mind? Yeah. A lot of things that we perceive is actually not who we are, like uh, our depression, our, you know, sometimes our urges and tendency, they, they comes to you, they just kind of pop up in your mind. And, and the more you, you, uh, you know, you look at it or, or go with it, the more it comes to you because it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an addiction, you know. Uh, so my analogy is like a, it's like a laptop, a computer, you know, like that's who we are. That's how I see it. 
like <clears throat> the, the more you use it, the get the it slows it get it build up a lot of you know um RAM space. They store a lot of cookies in your yeah. brain, and you get slow and lagging. You know, like you you just work very slowly, and every time you do something, it takes forever. You see the little rainbow circles, you know, circling. That's how that's how I see we are suffering in our mind. So the best is to always always uh have a you know uh hygienic way of uh, clearing it which is like you know restart or reboot the computer in a certain you know like the command command keys you have to reboot your yourself basically all the time and those could be done in like meditation or or some sort of spiritual retreat that i can see that is a type of reboot because you disconnect from your job your daily life and you know your cell phone and everything and then uh uh you went for for retreat and those are it is not something that uh enjoyable you know re- spiritual retreat is kind of suffering you know like you you out of your your comfort zone and you're bored to death there's no no cell phone for you to entertain your your mind and uh you are there facing yourself for a period of whatever period that you choose to be there and uh that's the best way for for anyone to uh to come back to themselves and then of course reading some text for uh for more um, ideas and philosophy, but the main thing is to to always reboot your mind. Yeah, it's interesting, like how um, also when you think about the larger powers or the um, you know, do you believe in like kind of struggle between these larger powers, or is it all like you know, it's like a lot of times in the Western tradition we think about um, you know, kind of divine powers versus you know, demonic powers, or like you know, a lot of times there's a lot of talk about. Like struggle between different powers within the uh, within the whereas in the Eastern tradition they tend to think of it like more line long lines of Buddhism Bodhisattvas are like as all being basically good even those who are wrathful tend to be like motivated by compassion you know so it's interesting like when you think about the East West conversation um you know like you know, when you think about like in Japan or or in East Asia they have a lot of wrathful deities. Uh, wrathful bodhisattvas who put on the wrathful aspect and who then um, protect, you know, dharma realizations. But what is your opinion on the nature of evil, in other words? Yeah, so um, for me, in non-duality, ultimately, you know, you are divine, you are God itself, so uh, there's no evil in that sense. But in the not. In, in the reality, you know, in the smaller world, yeah, there's always, you know, like good and evil because in, in duality, you always need two, right? Because if you don't have two, then it's non-dual, you know? So, mm-hmm. so you need the two. So there are always like the good elements and the bad elements. But, uh, like you say, the whether it's Eastern or the Western, I see all these philosophy as stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they are all stories, you know, like stories that we tell ourselves because we will never know what's the true reality is. We will never understand the true the big g like the the main the main deity the the ground of everything is we will never understand as human so these are stories that we have a glimpse from from sages and and uh say uh saying that that uh through the ages that they wrote down and things like that and um i always compare it to uh to world building you know like these are all stories like in 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 all the stories in our you know, uh, mind that is like the Marvel universe, the Star Wars universe. They are all like we we have our universe, you not know, like uh, yeah, <laughs> like the Eastern philosophy universe, the Western philosophy universe, <laughs> and those for me those are like stories. And and it's, if the stories works well with you and it fits your life, your like it suits 
what you felt that is good, you're following it and it's beneficial for you. Yeah, there's no harm doing it and following it. I think it's beautiful. It's just, it's just like any art, performance art, you know, <laughs> it's the type of art that we all uh, enjoy. That's why I, I uh, it's very hard for me when, you know, if someone asks me whether I'm like a Buddhist or Taoist or like a, a Hindu or whatever, it's, it, I'm, I'm neither any of them, but I do really appreciate all the tradition. Yeah, it's interesting when you compare it to like fandoms. Like I, I found that particularly interesting. Like, um, you know, uh, religious traditions and fandoms, because I think there is some salient comparison there. Because, like, especially now as we start to get into like various depths of um, and different kinds of mediums of fandoms, it's like it, it really becomes a little bit like a, a universe unto itself, as you're saying, um, a universe that has its own understanding and 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 like um, has its own logic and and, and comprehension. So, like, comparing the religious traditions to these things is helpful, I think, in some way, because it allows a little bit more freedom or a little bit less rigidness around the facts or the truth and being more fluid in that regard. Like, what is truth? What is, you know, what is, um, you know, what are facts as opposed to truth as opposed to, you know, personal truth and ultimate truth, all these kinds of things. And we explore that region, that, that terrain of personal versus ultimate truth. Um, and how, you know, it's detrimental to enforce a universal truth, even a personal truth or universal truth, uh, to, against others, you know, like others may not be able to accept that. So, like, how, how, like, you know, a lot of times we talk about proselytization, like, kind of like, you know, trying to bring the good news to other people is not a lot of times, like, brought, brought in that regard. Um, but to what extent do you want to promote this viewpoint? of non-duality to everyone or to what extent is that kind of up to everyone to, to decide for themselves? It's just a nature of reality perhaps. And we don't need to necessarily like, you know, proselytize it, if you will. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I don't, I don't think we need to proselytize because I'm not doing anything. Right. Yeah. So, so if I try to do something, then then it's no longer non-dual for the most proselytize, proselytize is like here. No, it's a, radio talk show so yeah i'm kind of doing it but yeah but uh but it's just because you know somehow we connected and you invite me on a show it's not that i'm like calling everyone that i want to come to yeah. a, a talk show and talk about yeah. non-duality exactly exactly it's not yeah. something to push on people yeah yeah it's something uh, just to share yeah and not everyone connect with it you know it's like it's somehow i i connect with it and and like Brett Warner is probably connect with it through the lens of Zen, you know? Yeah. So like you could connect with it through the lens of Christianity and through other type of mm. spiritual practices. And so I, I don't know whether the way I talk would connect with a lot of people or not, but, uh, but so I, I just let it be, you know, like I'm not trying to do anything. Um, but one of the things I want to stress, uh, want to come, uh, bring this idea of a, not part of the question, but like free will idea is this idea of NPC, non-player character in video games. So that's the idea that if you're in a video game, there's a lot of, uh, like you are the main character, like let's say you're, you're like the main guy that who is doing things. And then there's a lot of non-player characters. So for me, us as human beings is the non-player characters, uh, that live in the world. Like it seems that we, like they, like it seems that we are doing things in the world and we go to work and, we, you know, in the weekend, we do other things that are for fun. And then, you know, we have a family and then, you know, we, we eat, be married and then die. And, uh, it seems that we are doing it, but it's, but for me, that, that's an analogy that I want to point out that maybe we are the non 
player character. We are just part of this thing that in the game of life. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting how you're role playing, and and we kind of look at it in terms of again within the the um, universe of like fiction and and nonfiction and you know reality versus the the role playing. So I think all uh, there's there's a lot in uh, in the Maya Maya um, Martha rather I was thinking of the Gita where he talks about like playing a role and like but the actor comes up a lot like you know, when when Krishna's telling the Arjuna like about the, you know death and all this he like says like think of it in terms of I think I I'm pretty sure I remember him saying thinking of it in terms of like actors staying on a stage you know. Like, you know, you have to perform your role, your dharma, in this in this action, and that you shouldn't be so fixated on, you know, like, um, you have to do the right thing, right? The dharma. The, the yeah. dharma, you have to uphold the right action. So, um, you know, you shouldn't be so fixated on, like, the, the, the being the form. Rather, you should be fixated on the actions performed. You know, like you know, it's like you have to uphold the the righteousness. Right. Yeah. So his dharma is being a warrior, and my dharma is being an artist. So, yeah. like, if you truly know your calling, then you are doing the right thing. Because uh, you know, I I would be a really bad you know uh, warrior or um, you know a bad politician or other things. You know, but I'm really good being an artist, and uh, so that that's my dharma. And uh, it's weirdly uh, that's synchronicity too, right? When when I was uh, Going to uh, college, I actually applied to uh, a military school because it was free back when I was in Malaysia. But I got kicked out. I was not fit enough, so I couldn't be the warrior. So I guess oh, I'm the artist. <laughs> yeah, but so even, there's, there's lots of congruence, but there's lots of uh, intersectionality between like artist and, and warrior because I think like you know a lot of times like for example, Salman Rushdie is a great example of someone who penned a novel and then you know. Got a lot of people very uh, agitated about that. Uh, his words, they weren't able to, um, you know, contend him on that ground. But rather, now recently, has the attack on him. I think it was like two days ago. Uh, they had an attack on him because they're they're unable to um, confront him intellectually. They have to confront him with a knife. You know, these people, unfortunately, a lot of people in this world resort to violence as opposed to uh, confronting intellectually. You know. Uh, and now it, t- it seems like um, I, I think for now, last I heard, he's uh, you know kind of on the road to recovery, but hopefully he does survive and, and, get, and be okay. But um, you know, it's interesting how the creative artist has such a role to play in the larger scheme of things, doing the righteous action, doing the doing the um, uh, you know um, remembering, if you will, the flow of the. the the, uh, the energy. Yeah. Uh, and all this violence, I think, came from the idea of the I, you know, like, because uh, all these th- people get angry it's just because they felt they are being threatened. The, what is being threatened? Nothing. It's their 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 uh, their is being threatened, right? Yeah. So I found this very, when I was a kid, you know, like people, you know, say bad things about, about your mom, you know, or your whatever, you know, people just make fun of you, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, you get angry and you want to fight a kid, you know, but then, you know, I found out that that's not that's nothing happened. They just talk. You know, like that's not real. You know, so it's it's just like that when people talk bad about your religion or your race or whatever, it's, it's they are just saying something. You know, that energy that they throw at you. Mm. If you take it, 
and project it back, then it becomes violence, you know. Yeah. But if you just let that energy pass through you, it's just, oh, you know, like, oh, you felt this anger. The anger you felt, it's not real, you know, it's not you. You felt the anger. You feel the anger. The anger is not you. It just goes through. And then you just see it comes and after some time, it, it will go away. But if you are, get the idea of this religion is me and when people attack this religion, it means it attack me. Yeah. So that's the, the, the problem. Yeah, I feel like um, we should all respect that everyone has their own experience. Yeah. Everyone has their own reality. And that, um, you know, that doesn't threaten my reality. Your reality doesn't threaten my yeah. reality. But rather, you know, we can coexist. And the ultimate truth, if there is an ultimate truth, uh, doesn't change. Uh, based on the experiential, you know, kind of curvings or the experiential experiences of, of different people. You know, we may have different fleeting experiences, in other words, but that doesn't change the ultimate reality if there is an ultimate reality, uh, nature of reality, um, which is ultimately based on the idea that we all have our own experiences, I think, if there is yeah. an ultimate reality. Yeah. You know, what would you say is the ultimate reality if there is an ultimate umbrella reality? Maybe just that. We all have our own experience of that. I don't know. Is there anything else that can be said about that? Yeah. Well, the idea of non-duality is the ultimate reality, but that the reality doesn't have a, a you know, a liking. You know, it's, they call it nirguna, near like without quality, uh, meaning there's no good or bad. There's no you know black or white. There's nothing. There's no choices. You know. So yeah. so if you think about that, because those are the most permanent state that you could be. So. Um, in in some way, if you if you understand that, you know everything else is is non-dual. So yeah. For me, that is the ultimate reality, but the but is 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 counterintuitive because in our waking sense, that doesn't really you know cannot it cannot be shared. You know, so it cannot be proven. You know, cannot yeah. be scientifically proven. So it's it's is uh that's why it's it's good that you know we you know we we have laws and orders and uh. And black and white, because this is something that we need to function as a as a human in this world. But uh, yeah, but the non-dual part, you have to experience it yourself. You know, don't don't take people example just for you know or, or people uh, talk or what they said is. So it's something that you have to proven for yourself. No one else can help you. Uh, no guru uh, is going to be able to give you that. You have to you have to strive for it. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So I just remind this is the Truth to Power Show Radio for Brooklyn. We're Tatsutan and we're uh Tan and we're talking about uh, non duality and different experiences between the ultimate nature of reality, kinda of tying it into the to the show having to do with you know, these are truths, ultimate truths and personal truths that can be empowering uh when um when discovered truly for oneself. Um you had a couple of stories that you wanted to share. Um, when I asked the question, what has been your most valuable failure thus far? Um, and you said you had, uh, you could talk about the, the, the two examples, the sandwich shop and I hate color. Yeah. Maybe you talk a little bit about those. Sure. Things. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so I had a, I had a, this piece where it's called everyone is an artist where I printed out instruction sheet, how to produce a, a, a couple of piece of artwork. And when people go to my exhibition, they actually, uh, all the materials is in a table and you can just follow the instruction and create a version of that on your own. And uh, when the exhibition happened, uh, no one follows the instruction. They, they actually, beyond the instruction, 
there was paint on the table. It's supposed to be painted on a piece of phyllo dough, Ugh. edible paint on edible uh, uh, mater- edible material phyllo dough. And when the, and and it can when it's dry, you can eat like the painting. Basically, that's the idea. But the the paint, some someone had a great idea that they want to paint the wall, so the wall uh. is splash. Oh, and yeah. I was like, no way, this is not what I intended. And I was panicking. I was asking the gallery managers, like, is this okay? Like, are we supposed to like kick people out? Like, they are like destroying the gallery, basically. Yeah. And then he said, fine, this is great. You know, and I was like, oh man, he's like, that's not what I want. I wanted to have a different experience. And then the next day, after the exhibition, I went to the, the sandwich shop and then the, the, in the counter, the guy told me that, oh, but I'm a, I'm here. I'm a tourist. It's in a Charleston area. And he said that, well, like, you should go to the amazing show last night I was in, you know, like this show amazing. I was like, was so good. And it was my show. So I was oh, like, yeah. it's like, that's the idea of like, you're trying to do something, but you know, you just have to let it go, you know, like yeah. actually it, it was a success for me. It was a failure. You know, at first it was like, oh man, like it doesn't work. You know, the idea doesn't work, but then it's like, it's a, it's, it's a great success because people create, they stir other people's creativity. And actually that's, that's what I want. So, so that's one story. The other story is that, um, I got a commission when I say that I, I made the, the, uh, the public artwork in the school in Sunset Park. Uh, I got a commission and, um, uh, it was based on my, uh, nature matching system mural. It's basically a colorful grid, like a pixel of colors and each of the colors are, inspired by the skins of fruits and vegetables called phytonutrients and it's basically like pantone colors but multiple colors of skins of fruits and vegetables and the proposal is to cover the wall of um, the cafeteria which is in the basement of the school with those colorful tiles so that when children uh, go there they can be inspired by the color and know that they should eat more natural colors uh, in their diet and somehow somehow like the person that Top that, that needs to approve the project uh, doesn't like color, which I didn't know. And he, she keep coming back with weird requests that is just I. It's like, are you trying to be the artist here? <laughs> you know, it's, uh-huh. like, it's like it's just requests that couldn't be soft. So I, I request for in person meeting so that I could understand what's the reason. But that is being rejected. So I finally figured out that this person hates color. Uh-huh. So I gave them a piece of white marble white carella marble that is like in a piece of uh like where you usually see in municipal building in a courthouse or some sort of uh you know government building when you go in you'll see the plaque of like donors or you know like a fallen uh, soldiers or things like that so it's basically a pledge like a pledge of legion i say I, you know we I, it's a pledge about being a climate uh soldier climate activist you know like a climate superhero i pledge to um to be a, a you know sustainable organic stewardship, uh, and uh, that got approved, and that's the mural in uh, Sunset Park. Oh wow, yeah. nice, nice. Yeah. There's always understanding the um, point of view and where they're coming from. You know, it's kind of the, some of the skill sets I think you utilize, like understanding where the objections are coming from, where the origins of them are, what the perspective of the person is, all this kind of thing. Yeah, Those yeah, very good skill sets. Right, and and what uh, and uh, because of that, I also contribute the the. Uh, the idea that you know, in order to have all these skill set, you need to have a, a day job of being an artist. So yeah. my my years in advertising and graphic design helps because I, I I'm used to do presentation and talking to art, to people, figure out what they want and and what I can help them with. Yeah, interesting, and I, I like the uh, idea of um, learn, practice, and teach as being part of your creative process. You put that down as under the question: What experiences do you often reflect on? 
that were a watershed moment and it was a watershed moment in your own process. And you said, I have the perspective, create a process of um, uh, learn, practice, and teach. You expand a little bit on that as well and how that kind of informs your creative process and, and kind of your process in general. Yeah. yeah. Um, all these years, I, I found out that my true medium is actually uh, making syllabus. That's, that's what I produce. Uh, it's not painting, but actually uh, syllabus. And uh, somehow, I, I just love to share what I have learned. Um, the idea of not being a master is, is what I'm doing. You know, like a master is that you know everything exactly. Probably you know only one skill. That's why you are the master of a certain thing. But for me, like I know a lot of skills, just a little bit. You know, I like to explore a lot of different things. And I didn't wait until I'm good at it. You know, before I teach to other people, I teach it when I'm still learning it because that's where you can both practice and share. And, um, that's where it is interesting. So, well, so in, in the end, I found that my whole process is to I learn things that I'm intriguing and I practice them in my studio. Once I'm good enough, uh, I teach it to other people. And by teaching, I do workshops, uh, talks, and, uh, and different type of sharing. And finally, uh, I create a syllabus. And each of the three um, trilogy projects that I'm, I did uh, usually last five years each. So that's like 15 to 20 years of, uh, of work there. And um, yeah, and, and it become my process. So right now, everything that I do is I learn them, I practice them, and I usually teach it to other people. Mm, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's so it's so amazing how you're able to communicate so much. Um, you know, you have so much, so such diverse uh, philosophical background and diversity in your creative practice. So it's good you're able to communicate a great deal to your to the people you're communicating to. You have they're drawing from a lot. You know, is what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, so then also about the, if we continue, like, about um, your uh, influences, and I was looking through some of the, some of the um, uh, stuff on your page. Um, you also, like, chanting and um, Vedic chanting. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about your self-care as well, you know, self-care and, and um, how you connect your contemplative practices mm. that help you. Uh, connect with this this energetic flow that you're talking about, this kind of non-dual flow. Because I feels like a very much like both academic as well as a very contemplative practice that has to be grounded in, you know, real, um, you know, kind of embodied um, learning as well. Yeah. You're talking a little about that. Yeah. yeah uh, well, self care, uh, rest, rest well, uh, and uh, eat. Um, organic healthy food that's why yeah. I make a project uh, nature matching system that's my main self care and um, instead of relying on uh, health care insurance make sure that you know that the food that you put in is is, is the most uh, nutritious and uh, also learn uh, to know some um, herbalism you know because a lot of things could be done uh, naturally instead of uh, you know uh, going towards uh, pharmaceutical at first, and then uh, whatever that needs to be done, pharmaceutical or you know Western medicine, do it because that that whatever system that's the best for your needs, you know, do that. And um, and you know, uh, I think one of my main practices is uh to be alone. You know, like that's the main uh contemplative practices I have. Mm-hmm. 
it's not it's not because that I like to be alone. I I was born uh, as a single child, I guess, and that sort of uh, my vasana like, is already my tendency to be alone. Uh, because when you are alone, you you be able to think clearly, and we're gonna take care of the ring. Um, let me just see who that is. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, yeah, try to be alone. Uh, that is my self care. And, um, whenever things that comes to you, uh, the idea, the, you know, the emotions that comes to you, uh, try to see that as an, an, an in invasion of your thoughts, you know, not just, not just thinking it that's who you are, you know, every, every emotion, you know, whether it's jealousy or, idea of lacking uh see it as something that you know that you you sense that you that's but not but not truly who you are so that's um that's a very good advice i think when people are facing different type of uh, depression and things and um yeah be uh also you know different people are different type of self-care you know some sometimes you need to interact with people sometimes it's good to be on your own so all right, we take care. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what was going on there, but with the phone. But um, anyway, so as a mind, this is the Truth of Power Show. Ready for Brooklyn? Uh, Ready for Brooklyn? Um, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Um, <coughs> Ready for Brooklyn's platform is to um, mission is to provide a free and open platform for our community, promote media literacy, education, free expression, public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us continue to stay on air, allows us to continue our work in the community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at slash donate uh, If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbooking.com slash Amazon and register readyforbooking as your Amazon small charity. Uh, every time you shop, portion your Purchase benefits already for Brooklyn. If you'd like to listen to Radio Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, if you're doing that right now, please download our free mobile apps for iPhone or Android. Well, put the app store for iPhone or Google Play Store for Android. Please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming our RV events. You can sign up at radiofbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. So you're listening to Radio for Brooklyn, shoot the power show. We have about 10 more minutes left. Um, we can talk a little bit about, um, uh yeah, what's been going on with you? Um, you know, post pandemic and and how you're how you're doing with the um the art, um how things have changed for you or shifted for you of this this time, um and how uh and how and what the future is for you, um you know kind of like where you're going now, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's the future, and I said that uh, just now uh, in the start of the show that. I see this wave of my career being a graphic designer, being an artist and being something else in the future. I don't know what that, that else is right now, but I just follow my interests. I think that's the only thing that I could follow uh, right now is acquiring uh, ancient languages, uh, going back to uh, studying Sanskrit and studying Latin and maybe someday studying Greek. And uh, that's, that's what I, I can do right now. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what the, the future project brings. Um and uh, what else? Um, uh, 
gonna do it. take care of the phone. Sorry about that. No worries. Yeah, sometimes the next show, like the, their guest, is not always so clear on what the procedure is. So, uh, it's okay. Anyway, um, so yeah, next next up, next show will be coming up in ten minutes. Uh, they have to, you know, wait till the till the next guest comes on. Um, so yeah, so then yeah, so then we were talking a little bit about uh, art and artistic practice and. And, uh, kind of how to mediate the contemplative practice with the flow. You know, I know there's been a lot of disruption in the past few years. I didn't get a chance to, uh, hear a little bit of your answer, but, um, uh, yes. Yeah, so, and, and these is the kind of the time in which, uh, non-duality can help so much, you know, to understand that we're not the ones creating this reality. It's kind of the reality is unfolding, if you will, you know, when things go and as, as an illustration of your, uh, story about the, um, things not going according to plan. You know, like we over plan, we over kind of try to control and how that control gets ultimately released and how ultimately the products can be, be better than, you know, even, um, we expected them to be. You know, so in other words, like, um, uh, when we over plan, we're just, we're just preparing for disaster, really. We're playing for disaster, really, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the pandemic also shows that our life is really short. So, yeah. so follow your, your intuition and your, yeah. your yearning, whatever pulls you, because that's your gift that you can give to the world, right? You yeah. don't want to wait until, you know, someday. Yeah. I guess that's why there's the, the mass resignation, right? People resign and yeah. trying to follow what they were calling, right? So, I think that is, uh, people sense that, you know, like, oh, you know, like, maybe I don't want to do this job that I'm not happy in, you know, like, you have to follow your bliss. And when you follow that, things come and then you can perform the best. You, you'll be able to contribute back to the society. Yeah, no, totally, totally. And I think like when we realize that, you know, we kind of let go of the idea that we're in charge or, you know, all this kind of thing, we're able to contribute more, we're able to do more, we're able to be more in flow, um, you know, allowing things to happen rather than, being like, I want this, I need this, you know, I, I having that ego, egoic mind, egoic mind, and I'm trying to control the ball. You know? Yeah. And also yeah. look, always look back in the hindsight, what happened, right? Every yeah. move that you do, always look back. Because yeah. for me, every time I look back, my success, it was, it was very natural in the flow. Like mm. one thing comes like a Lego set, it falls into place. Yeah. And, and then like big things happen because of that. And then you ask yourself, did I make that happen? Like, no, not really. It just happens on its own. You can call that serendipity or, you know, like God calling, whatever you're going to call it, but it's just not something that you do. Then you understand that, um, you know, the only thing that you can do is to follow your own calling, what, what you, you are called to do. But some people could not understand what the calling is. For me, I want to point out that your calling is when you do something, your heart sort of like has a sweet spot in it. You are so happy and times just flies, you know, like you'd forget that it is uh, two hours have passed since you do this thing. Mm. So that's uh, like something that you are meant to do, you know, like you're, that's what you're being called to do. And, uh, that's my best advice when people say, I don't know what I want to do, you know? Yeah. So, so follow that bliss that when you do something and times just pass by, fly by and, uh, just, just do more of that. And at, at some point, 
you will be really good, very good at it, and people would want to hire you to do that thing, you know, and then you'll be able to make money out of it. Yeah. And then it becomes both something that you are happy to do and you'll be able to sustain your life. Hopefully, that's the idea. Yeah. It's so interesting when you think about commerce in regards to our passions. It's like, on the one hand, people are very tight about that. They're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give things away for free. Or they might be like, oh, we should be doing this all for free. You know, there's all these different, different opinions of commerce. But I think when we offer, make an offering to people in exchange for their services or there's more of a flow, energetic flow when we, uh, like, you know, for example, in meditation classes, you know, we want to sustain, um, accessibility for them. But at the same time, I think it's more of a flow when, when we offer something in exchange for a meditation. Uh, instruction rather than, um, you know, these three classes tend not to be as impactful, you know, in my opinion. I feel like commerce is part of the free exchange of, uh, you know, not to sound like a, a doctrinated capitalist, but I do believe that there's a certain amount of exchange flow. Yeah. And it's also yeah. hold the participants, uh, some sort of, you know, commitment, you know, mm. like if you, if you put like a hundred bucks in it, you know, like, you will tend to go to the to yeah. the session more because you don't yeah. want to you know lose out. But if you if it's free, then it will be like ah maybe I don't feel like it now or tomorrow next yeah. time. So some sort of monetary value also holds you like this is very important in your life. You know. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, totally. There's there's some truth to that idea, and um, the other controversial idea is the guru aspect. You know, having a guru. You know, because a lot of people feel like, oh, you know, this person guru is always flawed, or is always guru always has problems. Um, you know, they're not, they're never going to hold themselves up to the kind of standard that um, ideally a guru should be held up to. Um, but ultimately, the guru is at our heart. You know, I feel yeah. like you know, yeah. the guru is at our heart. Yeah, I want to exp- uh, say something about that. Uh, so, I definitely, guru is the heart. Like the only guru that you could. Uh, depend on is is you right your own yeah. you are the, your own guru but then the idea of having a guru is definitely crucial i think yeah. a, a human guru is because someone has already done the path and they just pointed you uh the, the correct direction instead of you like blindly going in like yeah. trying to to find your own way you could you could you know you could shorten your journey basically you know why you don't want to get the easy path rather than the 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 long way you know get the short shortcut you know towards enlightenment so definitely uh if uh if the guru shows up you know uh then yeah take it you know and of course don't rely on it because the guru will not make you enlightened or 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 make your life easier you know he he or she could be just pointing at the truth yeah 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 it's just a question of like guiding you along the path rather than like you know, being too weird about it yeah like like you tend to be a little weird about it like oh that girl is perfect and all this kind of thing, but you know, they're just there to kind of like illuminate the path so then you can have a little bit of easier time. And know? all, and all gurus are also human, you know, like they all make faults, uh, have, uh, you know, they're all like just like us. And also you, the idea of not just one guru, you know, you can have multiple gurus too, yeah. you know, and it, gurus come from different format. Uh, you know, a human person, a books, you know, like, oh, uh, other people's, uh, that wrote books, you know, they are like my guru, you know, like when I was, um, you know, when I'm an artist, you know, Andy Warhol is sort of my, um, uh, patron because through his uh, foundation I got benefit you know so wow. in some way my uh, you know my patron is like big famous artist that has like yeah. big endowment right so in some way like, you never met them but they, they helped you a lot you know yeah thank you, thank you. yeah so there's a 
guru comes in different in, in different ways. And uh, like to take this opportunity also to uh, express my gratitude and appreciation to all the gurus that I've learned from, whether they are like Sanskrit guru or spiritual guru or any other type of guru. And sometimes your boss could be your guru. I mean, they don't yeah. teach you philo- philosophy, but you know, through the interaction and the struggle in working relationship, you found a lot of uh, spiritual nuggets. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, totally. I think like ultimately people that we don't expect can help us a great deal. Yeah. I think it's really great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank so you. A few more minutes left. I'll just tell the listeners, this is the Truth to Power show. We're, we're going to be ending the show uh, as far as live broadcasts go next week. That'll be our final live broadcast. And then we have one more pre-record on the 28th. Um, so I encourage people to listen to those last two performances, last two um, episodes. Um, also, they can look at our archives at RadioFlickin.org slash Shoot to Power. Uh, go to RadioFlickin.org and look up um, under Shows, Shoot to Power Show, RadioFlickin.org slash Shoot to Power. I'll give you a direct link to uh, our archives. Um so I hope people will listen and, and check out a little more about um, our guest as well. Uh, what was your website? It was tatfu.com or T-A-T-T-F-O-O.com? Yes, correct. All right, cool. So people will look you up uh, on Instagram as well. I believe you have some of your art uh, and some of the various things up there. Um, the Instagram handle is that Tatfu? Or Tatfu, is yeah. Tatfu, okay, good. Yeah, good. And then, um, yeah, I hope people look you up and, and find out more about you and about your uh, library um, explorations, library thing, your library thing as well. Um, so that'd be great. Um, and then, yeah, thanks so much for being here. And we hope that people will listen to the last few episodes of the Truth to Power show and, uh, and write in if they'd like, write into truthtopower.gmail.com uh, to tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experience of the show. As we start to end the show, thank you. Any final thoughts? Um, yeah, uh, thank you, VJ, for having me here, and um, thank you for listening, everyone. And uh, yeah, uh, be well. All right, thanks, guys. All right, take care. Thank you.